You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. Let me just say again, happy Father's Day to all the dads in the house. I'm so glad you're here today because we're talking about making disciples. And dads, let me just say this real quick to you. You know what you are? You're not a babysitter. You're a disciple maker. You are the lead disciple maker in your home. Never forget that. So I'm thankful that you're here today. Let's open God's Word together. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, grab that and turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, there are black Bibles on those tables in the back of the room. We would love to give you a Bible. So grab one now or grab one on your way out today. That's our gift to you. And if you don't know your way around the Bible that well, we're going to put all the verses on the screen so you can follow along with us without any trouble at all. If you're willing and able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? We stand out of reverence. And readiness. We're eager to hear from God this morning. So listen carefully to this short passage in Matthew chapter 4. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, better known as Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Today we're beginning a short series, and in this short series I have one big goal. And I want to be very clear and unapologetic about this goal, so I'm going to state it here at the outset for you. My hope is that over the next few weeks, God's Word will inspire every one of Faith Church's friends and gospel partners to get involved in phase one of our facility master plan. Now, if you're new to Faith Church, brand new, or if you missed our gospel partner meeting we had a few weeks back, you can find all the details about Phase 1, what it is, what it involves, on our website, faithrus.org. Right on the homepage, you'll see an image of what the future of our campus might look like. If you'll click on that image, it'll take you to the Phase 1 page with all the details. But let me just summarize it for you very quickly. The goal of Phase 1, the twofold goal, is to downsize our campus and to maximize the missional potential of key ministry spaces. This will include three things. First, the completion of our preschool building, which will increase our student capacity, thus allowing more children and families in our community to encounter the living Jesus through our staff and our ministries. Second, the reconfiguration of our campus, downsizing our number of buildings, which will decrease our overhead. And then finally, interior renovations and tech updates to our worship center, which will enhance both our digital and in-person worship, allowing more people to experience the truth of the gospel. Now, we're estimating our anticipated budget for phase one is $600,000. We are praying and hoping That in May and June, as we collect this special offering that we've been talking about, that we will raise $100,000 to launch Phase 1. By God's grace, over $85,000 
has already been given. So praise God for that. I think we're going to surpass the 100,000. Yeah, we can, we can clap for that. We still got two Sundays left in June. I believe we're going to surpass the $100,000 mark, but we're going to need you. We're going to need you. So that's the goal. That's what these next few weeks are all about. Clear, unapologetic. Here's how we're going to proceed. I said that I hope and pray that God's word will inspire us. So here's how we're going to proceed. For a few weeks, I want us to look at the two words that changed the world. Follow me. We're going to look at Matthew's gospel. Stories, encounters where Jesus says to someone, follow me. And we're going to ask the question, what does it mean to truly follow Jesus in discipleship? What does it mean to to hear this call, follow me, to have it enter our ears, take hold of our hearts, touch us bone deep? What does it mean to follow Jesus truly? We'll find the answer to that question as we look at the follow me passages of Matthew's gospel. Beginning today with Matthew 4, the first occurrence of this phrase, follow me. And in this passage, we find four truths about following Jesus. Or for shorthand, we could say it like this, four truths of discipleship. Let's take them one at a time. First, the first thing we learn in this passage is that discipleship happens in community. Discipleship happens in community. Verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers. Matthew 4 is, in essence, the story of the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's just getting started. And the first thing he does, he selects his team. He gathers a group. This is a significant moment in the story of Scripture because this is the moment when the kingdom community is formed. Jesus calls these four brothers, and eventually we know that this group grows to 12, his first and his closest followers, his disciples. But what we see here is that discipleship happens in the context of community. It does not happen in isolation. In fact, we could go so far as to say it this way. The most influential, impactful things happen in community, not in isolation. I was reminded of this last Sunday as I sat at home in isolation. If you were here last Sunday, you know that I was, just, I was a slacker. I just didn't show up. The first time in 22 years of ministry, I was, I was sick on a Sunday, and I was pretty bad sick. Trust me, it was better for you that I was not here. But I sat at home in isolation. And because my wife, Jamie, is a Nazi caretaker who made me rest, even when I didn't want to, she said, lay there, go to sleep. I said, there's no way I'm going to sleep. So I grabbed a book off my to-read stack, the book that I wanted to get to for a long time, called Bandersnatch. And I read this book, and I was reminded of this truth, that the best work, it never happens in isolation. It always happens in community. Bandersnatch is a book about the creative collaboration of the Inklings. Do you know the Inklings? This was a group of famous writers. They started meeting together back around 1930 in Oxford. The most famous of the Inklings, you'll know them, they were J.R.R. Tolkien, 
and C.S. Lewis. They met together regularly to discuss their writing, to share and critique one another's writing. And because of that, because they wrote in community, they produced much better work. Here's a real clear example of that. J.R.R. Tolkien was a philologist, meaning he was a student of languages. He loved to study different people groups, their languages, their dialogue. And so he was, his tendency was to write these incredibly lengthy dialogues in his books. Well, as he shared these with C.S. Lewis, Lewis helped him see, listen, Tolkien, not everybody loves languages the way you do. You need to add more action to the story. People are never going to read this book. And so Lewis helped him get to the action in the story. Lewis even helped him change the main character's name. Did you know that in the earliest versions of The Lord of the Rings, the main character was not named Frodo? You know what his name was? Bingo. That's right, B-I-N-G-O, and Bingo was his name of. I wonder if The Lord of the Rings ever would have become so popular with a main character named Bingo. You see, it's true that the most influential, the most impactful work, it's always done. It's always done in community, not in isolation. Discipleship happens in community. This is why we gather for worship. It's why we have connection groups. It's why our students go together on summer camp. It's why we go together on mission trips. So you see, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to be a disciple, take advantage of the various types of togetherness we offer at Faith Church because discipleship is life on life. It happens in community. It's the first thing we see in Matthew 4. Now here's the second one. Discipleship begins with sovereign grace. Sovereign grace. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, better known to us as Peter, And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And Jesus called them. So Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, the main lake in this district. And he calls these four men. Now this is curious in two ways. First, it's curious that he calls, that he selects these men in particular. These are fishermen. There is nothing particularly outstanding about these men. They were blue-collar, rough-and-tough men. The second two that are named here, James and John, they were known for their tempers. There's nothing particularly outstanding about these men. They weren't of high status, they didn't have great educations, they weren't wealthy, and yet Jesus chooses them. Now the second thing that's curious here is that Jesus initiates this encounter. This is not the way it typically worked in the ancient world. This was not according to the customs of the time. You see, in the ancient world, all student-master relationships, they were all student-initiated. Typically, what would happen is a student would identify a master that he wanted to study under, and he would memorize the master's teaching. And then finally, eventually, he would show himself ready to go and walk with that master. It's a lot like the post-grad education process today. 
Years ago, when I decided I wanted to pursue doctoral studies, I had to initiate the process as the student. I had to pick a field of study, I had to find a supervisor, and then write a research proposal, trying to show this professor that my work was at least of a little merit, that I was the type of student that one day he could mold into a scholar. It was a student-initiated process, and that's how it was in Jesus' day. But Jesus reinvents the process. The master initiates. Walking along the sea, he finds these fishermen, these simple men, totally engrossed in their trade. He goes to them, he chooses them. You see, Jesus, Jesus does not look for people of great past. And Jesus does not say no to people who have a terrible past. Jesus comes in sovereign grace. He chooses his followers. He chooses us simply because of his grace, his good purpose, because he has good plans for our future. So don't you ever think that because of your past that you can't be a follower of Jesus. That's not the way the master works. Discipleship, it begins with sovereign grace. Third, In Matthew 4, we also learn that discipleship involves radical surrender. Radical surrender. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20, immediately. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Think of all that these men are leaving. Also think about the fact that we really don't know how well they knew Jesus. Matthew is scant with the details. He doesn't tell us if this is the first time Jesus has encountered these brothers. He doesn't tell us anything about how much they knew about him. They couldn't possibly have known everything that Jesus had come to do for them and through them. They couldn't possibly have known it all. And yet Jesus calls them, follow me, he says. And they drop everything. Without hesitation, they drop everything and they follow him. This call, follow me, Jesus is not summoning them to go for a nice little walk along the seashore. This is a call to discipleship. It's interesting, I think, that the word Christian has become the primary label we use today to identify a follower of Jesus. Did you know the word Christian occurs only two times in the New Testament? Only twice. The word disciple, it occurs dozens and dozens of times. These first disciples, they are called to become disciples in order to make disciples. And what is a disciple? Very simply, a learner, a student, an apprentice, a practitioner. The call of discipleship is the call to go with Jesus in an attitude of observation and imitation. Look Learn, live. But it's always a call of radical surrender. Don't you see it in the text? It's always a call of radical surrender. Immediately they left their nets. They even left their families. What a tough passage for Father's Day, right? They left everything they knew and loved. They left stability, job security, a paycheck. They left familiarity, a trade they knew well. They left everything they knew and loved, and in doing so, they show that Jesus is all they need. 
that their ultimate allegiance is to him. Years ago, a man named Dallas Willard, who's well-known, he's passed away now, he was well-known for his writings on spiritual formation. He wrote a book called The Great Omission. The Great Omission. And it's a book about Jesus' call to discipleship. And in this book, Willard warns us about what he calls vampire Christianity. Well, that's intriguing, isn't it? Vampire Christianity, in essence, says, I'd like a little of your blood, Jesus, please and thank you, but I don't care to follow you. I'd like a little of your blood, Jesus, I'd like you to save me, but I don't care to be your student, I don't care to develop your character. That's vampire Christianity. Willard goes on to say that the greatest need in the world today is those who profess to be Christians for them to become disciples. Learners, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ going with him on this journey, observing, imitating him. That's discipleship. It always involves radical surrender, leaving something behind, saying no to something in order to say yes to going with Jesus and trusting him on the venture that lies ahead. So that's the third point. Discipleship involves radical surrender. Fourth and finally, here's the last one. Discipleship is mission. Discipleship is mission. Look again at verse 19. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now this metaphor, this image that Jesus uses, this is brilliant when you think about it. It's brilliant. This is why Jesus, by far, is the best teacher who ever lived. It's brilliant. Because on the one hand, these men can relate to it so well. They are fishermen. So they know exactly what he means when he starts talking about fishing. Their eyes, they light up. But on the other hand, certainly they will have questions. Fishers of men? What do you mean by that, Jesus? See, they were accustomed to catching fish to kill. Fishing for consumption. That's what fishermen did. This is a new kind of fishing. This is a new kind of fishing where those who are caught, the people who are caught by the gospel, they will be saved. Saved from destruction. They will be set free. This is the ultimate catch and release fishing. This is the call for all of us. The call to discipleship is always a call to mission. Now, in the modern church, we tend to divorce these things. We even pit them against each other. That church over there, man, they are good at discipleship. Look at all the classes they offer. They got 25 classes that happen during the week. Look at the books they read. Those are some fat books they read over there at that place. Now, this church over here, they are good at evangelism. They are missional. They are meeting the needs of the community. See, we create this either-or, and Jesus insists, he insists that discipleship is mission. Follow me, he says, and I will make you fishers of men. What is discipleship? It's going with Jesus on his fishing expedition. That's what it is. It's going with him on this fishing expedition. This is the call for us, Faith Church. Jesus is saying the same thing to us. Don't you hear him saying it? 
follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Everything we do at Faith Church is an effort to obey this call. Everything. Phase one is an effort to obey this call. Think about it. What are we doing by expanding our preschool? The first and most important part of phase one. What are we doing? We're going fishing. Make no mistake. We are going fishing for children and moms and dads and granddads in our community. We are sacrificing something, leaving something behind. Our comforts, our preferences, our personal wealth. And we're creating a way for more and more families in our community to encounter Jesus. The expansion of our preschool is a giant fishing expedition. Make no mistake. Now, does that mean that as soon as we finish that preschool building, we're going to see dozens and dozens of families come to us and believe and get baptized and become gospel partners? Maybe God could do that. But more than likely, it's going to take time. Because any experienced fisherman will tell you that patience is the name of the game. But in due course, in God's perfect timing, lives will be changed. We see it in the story of these first disciples. As we go with them throughout the Gospels and into the book of Acts, we see them leading the Christian mission. In Matthew chapter 10, just a few chapters after this, Jesus gives them authority to proclaim the Gospel to heal the sick. In Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within them so they can be witnesses all over the world. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, this same Peter, the fisherman, he preaches the first Christian sermon and 3,000 people believe and they're baptized. It all started with these simple men and these simple words, follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. As we enter into phase one, we are continuing with Jesus on his fishing expedition. And we believe that as we do that, as we prepare a way for more and more families to encounter Jesus, we believe that lives will be transformed. We believe that inquirers will become believers. And believers will become disciples who join us in this mission of making disciples of all nations. We believe it because we've seen it happen.